Well, good morning. Welcome to our Sunday worship service. Right now, as I speak, there is a beautiful, gentle rain coming down, and we're so thankful for that. I know I've been talking to some of the farmers how much it was needed and how a long, slow, soaking rain would, would be just what the doctor ordered, and that's exactly what we're getting. And so we know who to thank for that. We've been praying for rain, and the Lord has sent it uh, once again exactly the right time. And uh, we're so thankful today for that. As we begin today, just a couple of announcements for you. Uh, you've probably been aware of the, the latest restrictions that have just been announced, uh, uh, which came uh, active this Saturday. And so we've also uh, been made aware that due to the new indoor capacity restrictions for churches only increasing to a maximum limit of 25 people, indoors we will be continuing on with our sunday morning drive-in worship services uh, out in the church parking lot uh, into the summer as well as we'll be continuing with our online worship services uh, here as well and so please take note of that total mountain bible camp is proceeding with plans for family camps which will be taking place at the camp and i will be the chapel speaker there for the second week of family camp from july 12th to the 16th and I know me and my family, we are really looking forward to that. So if that's something that interests you, uh, please check that out. Um, also, day camps for children ages 7 to 12 will be coming here to Clarny on August the 23rd to the 27th. And so for all of that, go to tmbc.ca for more information as well as to register. For our tithes and offerings, as always, you can... Uh, give a tithe uh, by putting a check in the mail, uh, filling out checks to Clarny Mennonite Church, and postmarking that box 969 Clarny Manitoba R0K1G0. As well, you can give your offering in person. There's an offering box located here in the church foyer uh, for you to make use of throughout the week. Our call to worship this morning is taken from Psalms chapter 29, verses 1 to 3. And verse 9, the psalmist writes, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. And in his temple all cry glory. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you today to consider your glory and to ascribe to you and to give to you, Lord, the glory that is due your holy name. And we thank you today that it is because of your great mercy and love for us that you continue to care for us, your children. And you send the rains, Lord, timely as always, to nourish the ground, to cause crops and gardens to grow as well as to refresh our, our land and refresh our spirits. And we thank you for that. And we again see your mercies, which are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so we worship you with thankful hearts today. We thank you as well, Lord, for uh, the loosening of restrictions to the extent that we are now able to begin regathering with friends and church family uh, outdoors once more. And we pray, Lord, for those connections to... Uh, continue to happen, Lord, in the days and weeks ahead. And we also continue to pray, Lord, for the freedom to uh, once again regather indoors here in the sanctuary once more as a church family. 
However, we also thank you, Lord, for the continued ability to assemble as a church family outdoors under the sanctuary of your sky. And so we thank you that we can gather in that way to worship you, to be built up in our faith, to proclaim the gospel, and to bring glory to your holy name. And so we pray, Father, that today you would be glorified in our worship, and that, Lord, as we sit under the hearing of your word, as we reflect on who you are, we pray that you would be honored, that you would truly be glorified, and that, Lord, we would seek to multiply your glory in our lives, in our every thought, in our every word, in our every action, in all that we say or do, we pray that you would be glorified and that we would reflect your glory. And so, Father, today we gather once more in your name. We ask that you would bless those who, uh, Lord, need a touch from you today, those who are lonely, those who are depressed, those who are isolated. We pray, Father, be near to them. And we pray that you would send those who would bring encouragement and comfort to them. And may we be willing to be used in that way as well. We pray, Lord, for our seniors. We pray for those in care homes. We pray that you would be near to them. We pray as well, Lord, for continued ability to uh, regather with them once more and that those family connections can, can uh, be re reunited again. We pray, Lord, uh, for those who uh, in this time need physical healing. Bless them with a touch of, of your hand today according to your will. We pray, Lord, for your gospel as it goes out today from this pulpit and from every pulpit across this land, in this town of Killarney and outward, Lord, that you would have those who are ready to receive it, to hear it, and respond in faith that is pleasing to you. And so we pray, Lord, bless your word to the salvation of souls today. We pray, Lord, for our nation. We pray, Lord, for our world, that the gospel would continue to go forward, Lord, until your return and that we would be found faithful doing what you have asked us to do. And so we pray, Lord, for courage, for strength, for wisdom in these days to continue to stay focused on this great mission that you have given us to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to teach them all that you have commanded us until the very end. And we thank you that your promise is you will be with us until the very end. And so we thank you for your presence here with us today. May it be near to us and to in each home as we gather in this way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our scripture reading for today is taken from Romans chapter 11. And there I'll be reading from verses 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So far the reading of God's word. Would you bow with me once more? Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you, Lord, that it reflects your glory, and we pray that you would impress it on our hearts today. Speak through me, your servant. May the words be yours, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's sermon, we are continuing in Romans into part 27, entitled Sole Dio Gloria. 
sole Dio Gloria. I'll begin with the story of the professional golfer named Tommy Bolt, who was once playing in a tournament in LA. And he was assigned a caddy with a reputation of chatting constantly without ceasing. And Tommy, however, was one of those who preferred to golf in silence. It helped his focus and concentration. And so before they teed off, he instructed this very chatty caddy sternly with this instruction. Don't say a word to me. And if I ask you something, just answer yes or no. That's it. And so during the round, Bolt hit an errant tee drive, a drive into some trees, and he had to go and look for it. And they looked for a while, but eventually he found the ball next to a tree. However, from the location he was at, in order to go for the green from there, he would have to hit the ball under a branch and over a lake to make it. A very difficult shot. And so he got down on his knees and he looked through the trees to size up the shot. What do you think? He asked his caddy. Five iron? No, Mr. Bolt, the caddy replied. What do you mean, no? Bolt snorted. Now watch this shot. But the caddy pointed at the ball and repeated, no, Mr. Bolt. But ignoring his caddy completely, Bolt stepped up five iron in hand and proceeded to hit a perfect shot. The ball going just under the branch, soaring majestically over the water, landing softly on the green and coming to a stop about two feet from the pin. Bolt then proudly turned to his cat, caddy, handed him the five iron and said, now what do you think about that? You can talk freely now. Well, Mr. Bolt, the caddy replied, that was a terrific shot, but that wasn't your ball. Now, if you're a golfer, you might know that hitting the wrong ball is actually a two-stroke penalty. And so while Tommy Bolt's ignorance may have cost him a two-stroke penalty in that golf tournament, there is a much worse form of ignorance that is far more costly still. And that is living in willful ignorance towards God. You see, way back in Romans chapter 1, in verses 20 to 21, we read there, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now first take note that because creation itself gives such a powerful testimony to its divine creator, that man can see it, look at it, measure it, study it, and still reject God is to live in willful ignorance towards him. And so God says they are without excuse. Second, notice that by refusing to acknowledge God, mankind is actually robbing God of the glory that he is rightly due. Look again, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him. Now, this may sound slightly sensational, but listen. To rob God of the glory that he is rightly due is the greatest crime in all of history. 
Let me say that again. To rob God of the glory that he is rightly due is the greatest crime in all of history. Now, why is that? Well, consider that from cover to cover, the Bible points us repeatedly to the same truth. That the very purpose for all that God has created, all of it, us included, from the heavens to the earth, from angels to all of mankind, the purpose of it all is to bring glory to God. In Isaiah 43, verses 6 and 7, we read it explicitly. Listen. The Lord says, I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Let me say that again. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. So here God explicitly states that he created us for his glory. Then in Psalm 29, 1-3 to in verse 9, our call to worship repeats the same theme. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. And in his temple all cry, glory. Are you seeing a theme here? The, the psalmist is demonstrating that the highest aim of both the celestial beings, the, the angels of heaven, the, the highest purpose for them is to ascribe or to give to the Lord glory. And then he echoes that on the earth below that in God's holy temple, all the people do the same and they cry out glory. And so we see this is the angel's highest purpose and this is man's highest purpose is to give God glory. However, at some point in the distant past, at an unknown time, those angels who were fulfilling their purpose of glorifying God before his throne, at some point as this was taking place in eternity past, a great crime, the greatest crime of all, took place. In Isaiah chapter 14, we learn that Lucifer, who is called the morning star, the bright morning star, a mighty guardian cherubim of God's holy throne, it was he who committed the first ever sin, the first ever crime in all of God's creation. And how did he do that? Well, Isaiah tells us, he said in his heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will sit enthroned. I will make myself like the Most High. And so here we see Lucifer, he tried taking for himself the glory that rightfully belonged to God alone. And in so doing, he fell from his created purpose. And further, he was cast out of heaven. And fell to earth where he now continues his futile ambition to become like God by corrupting mankind to commit the exact same crime as him. 
by knowing God, seeing God, seeing the, gl the glory and splendor of his creation, his divine attributes being clearly displayed so we are without excuse, and yet in willful ignorance we reject it all, and we try to take for ourselves the glory that rightfully belongs to him. And so Satan continues to corrupt mankind to follow in the same crime that he committed. And in so doing, we rob God of the glory he deserves and he alone. And the result of this for mankind, Paul says, is futile thinking. Our thinking becomes corrupted. We can't think clearly anymore. Paul says our hearts become darkened. They become impure. They're, they are to be filled with the light of God, and instead they become corrupted by the darkness of sin. And all the while that this is happening, mankind claims wisdom, and yet they're actually becoming fools who are easily deceived. They then exchange the glory of God for all sorts of lesser replacements, worshiping false idols and even ourselves. Mankind becomes sexually impure and depraved, exchanging the natural relation between a husband and wife for the unnatural relations between the same genders. There is no bottom to the depths of depravity that can be reached, Paul says. And what is good is called evil, and what is evil is called good. And all of these things are the direct consequence of the greatest crime of trying to take the glory that belongs to God and giving it to ourselves. So what then is the antidote? What is the cure? What is the answer? Well, that is actually quite simple. We humble ourselves. We humble our entire lives, our spirits, our souls, our attitudes, face down before the God of glory. And we ascribe to him and give to him all the glory that he and he alone is rightfully due. And this is the primary subject of today's text, now in Romans chapter 11 and verses 33 to 36. Now here we find Paul's doxology, which provides a fitting bookend to the first 11 chapters of Romans. For as we just saw back in chapter 1, Paul began with first laying out the problem of man's sinfulness and his utter depravity. But then he proceeded to chapter by chapter, verse by verse, explain the good news of the gospel. That the law could never save us. All it could do was like a mirror reveal our sin and that we are sinners in need of a savior. And so therefore salvation cannot be earned but only received as a free gift. Where then we are saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Then having received this free gift we have been justified. We are being sanctified and we will be glorified in the glory of God's presence. Then Paul explained further the profound mysteries of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, and how though they appear to be contradictory, they are in fact in harmony with one another. And further, he explained that God would, through his divine purpose and sovereign knowledge, he actually used Israel's rebellion to bring the gospel to the Gentile world, us included. And yet, not discarding Israel in the process, though it appeared that he had done so for a time, God still had a plan to graciously restore Israel physically back to the land 
and in the end, spiritually to himself when they receive Jesus as their Messiah. And now having explained all of that in great detail as we have been studying through it in these past months, here we come to the end of chapter 11, and here we see the Apostle Paul with his heart simply filled to overflowing with all that the Holy Spirit had revealed in him and through him, even in this letter. The Apostle Paul bursts forth in this spontaneous hymn of worship to God. We read again, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Now, have you ever had a moment, have you ever had a time in your life where, like the Apostle Paul, you just became so overcome by awe and amazement of God that all you could do was just spontaneously begin to praise and to worship Him? You know, one of those times where you were just so filled with the goodness of God, perhaps He had done something just marvelous in your life, and all you could do was begin to worship Him. Well, I'm so thankful that I have been blessed with such moments in my life. Most, freq most frequently, those moments have followed, you know, one of those times of just undeniable work of God, one of those miraculous interventions where you see his hand so clearly bringing a sinner to knowledge of, of the gospel and to open their heart to receive his salvation. And I've been so blessed to be a part of some of those precious moments where a sinner comes to repentance and faith in Christ. And my heart just fills up with worship to see that happen and to have been a part of it in some small way. There's been other times where, where I've, I've been able to just see a circumstance that's so painful and trying. And all it seems is that it's just terrible. And yet somehow miraculously through all of it, I see at the end God brought about something beautiful and brought about something good out of something painful and, and, and hard. And all I can do is worship him. And it just bubbles up in my heart and it comes out of my lips and I give him worship. Other times it's come from just special blessings that he's poured out in my life personally where I just, all I can say is, thank you, Lord thank you, and just worship him. And it comes up spontaneously. You don't plan it, it just comes. But now, having said all of that, I must also confess something to you. I must confess that sometimes, because God's mighty power, love, grace, and blessings are so consistent and so numerous, that I can often begin to take them and God for granted. And because of his, his unfailing love that is new every morning, I can actually fail to give God the glory that he is due through a daily heart of worship and gratitude towards him. A Bible teacher named E. Schuler once told of a visit to China by the famed conductor Eugene Ormandy and his Phil Philadelphia Orchestra. It was world-renowned at the time. And so in this tour to China, they arrived at one city. And there, prior to their concert, the local orchestra, they wanted to 
do a, a concert of their own to show that perhaps that, that they had uh, some skill to display. And so they set up the orchestra in the hall, and the Philadelphia Orchestra sat in the seats as the audience, and the Chinese orchestra began to play Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. A very challenging piece, to say the least, and According to the reports of those who were in attendance that day, this orchestra was not doing it justice. It was quite poor, to be frank. The timing was slightly off, the transitions were shaky, and the overall melody was strained and difficult to listen to at times. And finally, at the end of the first movement, the host conductor, who looked quite stressed and perspiring profusely, he presented the conductor's baton to Eugene Ormandy and then stepped aside, allowing him to take center stage. And so Ormandy then stepped before that exact same orchestra and he signaled for them to begin. And no one could believe what happened next. The transformation was almost immediate and incredible as under Ormandy's direction, the timing which had been so loose suddenly became tight. The transitions became smooth, and the melody became pleasant. You would have thought he'd been conducting this local orchestra for years. And as the members of the Philadelphia Orchestra who sat and listened, they realized that they had begun to take Ormandy for granted, and had lost sight of his amazing ability to bring the very best out of even a somewhat subpar orchestra. And in that moment, they were impressed in a fresh and new way of their conductor's incredible talent and genius. Now, as children of God, in much the same way, we often fall into a similar pattern in our relationship to our Heavenly Father. When, like I said, the sheer frequency of His blessings and His skill and his incredible attributes and abilities, we just simply begin to take them for granted. Because we are carried along daily by his unending stream of love and mercy, and we begin to accept his blessings and goodness as just a regular, ordinary, humdrum part of everyday life. And in so doing, we might even forget what a great God we have. Unless we, too, take times and moments to contemplate his glory anew, and give him the praise that is due his name. And so we see here in Paul's doxology that though he had undoubtedly already experienced many mighty works of God in his life, far from taking them for granted, in that moment, as Paul penned these words of spontaneous praise and worship, we see that Paul's awe for his great God and Savior was still as fresh and new as it had ever been. And so he declares in verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. So may we likewise learn not to take God for granted, but continue to lift up hearts filled with worship and awe and praise to give glory to his holy name that he is rightfully due. Next, in verses 34 to 35, Paul continues his spontaneous worship by asking the rhetorical questions. 
Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? Now, if you're the sort of person who uh, needs to keep track, the three questions that Paul asks here all have the same answer, which is no one. No one has ever known the mind of the Lord, except for that which God has graciously chosen to reveal to us. But even then, it is only a sliver of the mind of God. Further, no one has ever been God's counselor. No one, ever. Though many of us, myself included, have attempted giving God advice every once in a while. Lord, I think you should do this, or I think you should do that. But in the end, he needs no counselor. His wisdom is perfect and beyond our even sliver of comprehension. And the third is no one has ever given anything to God that wasn't already his to begin with. Because he made it all, including us. And so in this regard, sometimes the challenge for us is to worship and glorify God, not only because of what we do know about him, but also because of what we do not know about him. A student once came to the great preacher Charles Spurgeon one day, and he was greatly concerned that he could not grasp the meaning of certain difficult verses in the Bible. And to this, Spurgeon replied kindly but firmly. He said, young man, allow me to give you this word of advice. Give the Lord credit for knowing things you don't understand and never will. Give the Lord credit for knowing things you don't understand and perhaps never will. How true is that? For consider the full extent of your personal learned knowledge. All of the things that you have personally learned in your entire life, think of the full extent of it. Now, I'm not talking about what you can look up on the internet or what you can read in a book. I'm talking about what you know in your head right now and can actually recall with some accuracy. Think about that. The totality of what you know. How much knowledge is that? How many books would it fill? Now ask the question, how big would the gaps in your personal knowledge be? How many more books would the gaps fill than what you know fill? Think about that. What we know is but a small sliver of all of the knowledge in the world accumulated. And to that I can tell you, with all humility, that as a lifelong student of God's word, this book alone, having studied it for almost my entire life and as a pastor every day of every week for the last 15 years, I can tell you that the more that I learn about this book, the more that I learn I don't know. And so knowing this, the gaps in my own personal knowledge are immense. Because for every new truth that God reveals to me in this book, it seems like I've only just begun to learn, and I'm only still scratching the surface. So the question is, can you still worship God when you can't fully understand his ways? Can you still worship God when you are suffering with pain? Can you still worship God when close relationships fall apart? 
Can you still worship God when he is allowing evil to go seemingly unchecked all around you? Can you still worship God when death invades, when persecution mounts, or when despair settles in like heavy fog? To all of these questions, Paul would reply, yes, yes, and yes some more. For consider that though there remain many mysteries of God, and of his ways and of his works in our lives and in this world, remember the greatest mystery of all is this. It is one that we will never fully comprehend. That God, the creator of the universe, that he loved us so much that he decided to step into his own creation, to become one of us, to take on a physical form, to take on human flesh, and in so doing, become a living sacrifice on our behalf. To shoulder our own sins on himself in order to save us, to redeem us, and to adopt us into his eternal family. And then to look ahead and consider that when we finally see God in all of his Shekinah glory, shining so brightly that there will no longer be a need for the sun, that in that moment, it will seem for all of eternity as it stretches on before us that we have only just yet met him. That we are only yet scratching the surface of his glory and of his majesty. And that for all of eternity, we will continue to learn and enjoy new aspects of God's infinite wisdom, majesty, power, and love without end. And so though we will never be able to fully comprehend our great God, or even come close. And though we will never fully be able to comprehend the mystery of all of his ways and workings in this world and in our lives personally, may we never lose sight of his great love for us, the greatest mystery of all, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so even on the worst of days, even in the darkest of times, when it seems that, the, that Satan and this world are throwing everything against us, may we continue to worship and glorify him, because he is worthy of our worship. Now finally, we move into Paul's big finish on the first 11 chapters of Romans, and here, like the final triumphant crescendo of a symphony orchestra, in verse 36, Paul joyfully declares... For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Now, in other words, Paul says all of the universe, all of it through time and eternity, past, present, and future, everything, both physical and spiritual, below and above, seen and unseen, all of it came from him was made through him, and were also made to him, meaning for him, and for his eternal glory. And so for us, this means that the greatest accomplishment and fulfillment that we can possibly hope to achieve in this very brief life of ours is when we embrace and live out the very purpose for which we were created. And what is that purpose? Well, the Westminster Catechism summarizes it so perfectly. It says, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 
Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. As 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 states, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I'll share with you the story of a German man named John. John had been a precocious child showing great promise, but sadly, when only 10 years old, both of his parents died and John became an orphan. However, he had an older brother who took him in, and soon John continued pursuing his singular passion in life, which was to make music. By his middle teen years, John had gained a reputation for being an exceptionally talented organist. And by the age of 18, he was hired by a church to become their full-time organist and composer. However, while he was undeniably a talented organist, the pieces that he composed were very complicated and therefore often difficult to sing along to. And they were also considered somewhat showy to be played in church. And so eventually the pastor informed him that they would have to let him go. Well, this happened a few more times in John's life in the years ahead, but always John persisted in composing his distinct style of music. Once when a pastor of a church he was playing for relayed once more the familiar concerns that his music was simply too elaborate for church, John had humbly yet firmly replied, The main purpose of my music is to glorify God. Some people do this with music that is simple. I haven't chosen to use a simple style, but, by, but my music comes from my heart as a humble offering to God. This honors God no matter what musical style I use. Now, though John's desire to glorify God with his music may not have been overly appreciated by the churches that he served at the time, history most certainly came to appreciate his music, which has continued to bring glory to God for over 300 years since. For you see, John's actual name in German is Johann. And his full name is one that you will undoubtedly recognize best as Johann Sebastian Bach. And further, we are told that every single time that Bach would begin to write a new song to compose a new piece of music, at the top of every page, he would write the initials J.J., which stood for, in Latin, Jesu Juva, meaning, Jesus, help me. Then, when he had finished his work, he would write at the bottom of the page the initials SDG, SDG, which stood for, in Latin, Sole Dio Gloria. Sole Dio Gloria, meaning, for the glory of God alone. And so just as Johann Sebastian Bach devoted his entire life's work and passion, sole dio gloria, for the glory of God alone, may we each resolve to do the same with the one life and the many talents that God has entrusted to each and every one of us. May we not be as those who miss their life's purpose by living in willful ignorance of their maker. But instead, may we fully embrace our purpose, the one for which we were created, to know and glorify our great God with every thought, 
with every word and with every action of our entire lives. So if you are a farmer or a tradesman, whether you are a father or a mother, uh, young or old, a student or a teacher, a clerk or a businessman, a nurse or a trucker, a musician or a technician, a grandparent or a volunteer, whatever it is that you do, whatever titles you may hold, may all that we do be done sole dio gloria, for the glory of God alone. Amen. Heavenly Father, to you we cry out glory. Glory be to your name. Glory be to your incredible love for us. That you who are high and lifted up, that your majesty fills this entire universe and beyond, that you, Lord, would set your love upon us. Low though we are, fallen though we are, and that you loved us so much that you left heaven and came to earth to become one of us, to restore us to yourself so that we could share in your glory and to magnify and multiply your glory both in our lives right now today, but Lord, for that glorious day yet to come when we will magnify your glory in heaven with you and it will carry on the greatest party for all of eternity in unceasing praise and worship to you, where the spontaneity of it will never grow old. We will never reach a moment in time or eternity where we will say, we've, we've seen enough, we've done enough, it's getting old. No, we will continue to be in awe of you forever and ever and ever. Amen. And so, Lord, to you, we humble ourselves, we prostrate our lives, and we repent, Lord, of any times where we have stolen glory from you and tried to take it for ourselves. And further, Lord, we pray that you would give us discernment in this world around us, fallen and dark as it is, to see how so misguided to look at giving glory to anything or anyone other than you. And help us to see it clearly, Lord, and to instead reflect your glory into this dark world so that others can see the truth and to realize that their purpose, their aim in life is to know you and to give you glory and to enjoy you forever. And so, Father, we pray, would you be glorified in our lives? Would you be glorified in this, your church? And would you be glorified in this, your world? For this we pray. In Jesus' name. And now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. Have a very good week. Go in peace, and Lord willing, we'll see you again right here next Sunday.